I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 80. We will continue our journey through selected psalms uh, this summer. And as you turn to this psalm, we'll be looking at verses 7 through uh, 19, the last verse. This is uh, one of the few psalms, and maybe the only one, that deals in depth with a theme that's important for us as a church. It deals with this idea of God's people as a vine, as a growing uh, organism of a vine, a vineyard. And as we as a church are committed, we say, on all our different information and hopefully are praying that God would grow us in truth, we look at these verses today and we look for God to teach us about what it means to be planted in the Lord, to prosper, to grow as a plant, planted for the Lord, to to think of this individually as well as corporately, and then even to be pruned by the Lord, to be trimmed back in various places In our lives as he brings uh, difficulty. As we walk through these verses, I also want us to, in in tandem, in parallel, look a little bit at John 15. Anytime you start thinking about God's people as a vine, uh, our attention's probably drawn to John 15, where we're told uh, a number of things. I'll mention one verse and we'll mention, mention a few others as we travel along through these verses. John 15, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, though, you can do nothing. So turn with me, and I invite you to stand as well. To Psalm 80, we stand just in recognition of God's Word. And let's see what it teaches us, uh, what it means to grow in the shining sunlight of God's face upon us. Beginning in verse 7. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it, and it took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. Why then have you broken down its walls so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit. The boar from the forest ravages it, and all that move in the field feed on it. Turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand planted for the son whom you made strong for yourself. They have burned it with fire. They have cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life that we will call upon your name. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. You can be seated. And let me pray again for us. Oh, Father, uh, how we do ask today, uh, Lord, that your face would shine upon us. That we would know more of relationship with you and, Lord, what it means to grow in you. Help us to see that as we study your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when it comes to plants botanical life, you will not find in either of these 
any shade of green. Nevertheless, about five years ago, I decided to undertake a project at our previous home up near Bluff Park. Our 40-foot by 80-foot front lawn was at least 50% overrun with weeds, and I decided that I was going to take it upon myself to personally redo the entire front lawn. I, I was so determined about it, I even bought a book on lawns. I own a book on lawns. I read it, and first thing you have to do is if, you got, if you're 50% overrun, you yield the ground and you just kill everything. Next thing I did after giving that a couple of weeks to sink in and everything to die was to uh, borrow the 20-year-old precious tiller that my father-in-law owned and use it to till up the entire front of my yard. The neighbors, of course, loved all this, I'm sure, as it was going on. The, the, to show you how demanding this was, the tiller itself burnt up about halfway through the lawn. That was a fun phone call to father-in-law. Tell him about that. Got all of that tilled up, then went through and removed the big pieces of grass and weeds and piled them up in a huge pile, then went back through with a rake and raked through to try to get all the other smaller pieces out, and then, as if to be uh, even more meticulous, went through on my hands and knees several weekend mornings to try to pick out everything that might have been a weed or piece of dead something or another from this dirt. Then you get a big, huge wheel thing that I had to drive all the way down 280 to get, and you pull that along the lawn to try to level it all out. And finally, all of this I got done the Friday night in the wee hours as the sun was setting just before Saturday morning when I had arranged for several of my buddies, some of whom are numbered among this congregation right here and for some reason don't seem like my buddies anymore. I don't know what happened. To come over and to help me take that whole truckload that had delivered that new sod on Saturday morning. And we worked until... It was dark that day as well to get that new lawn down. I, I hovered over that lawn like a mother hen over her chicks. Fertilizer when it was supposed to be, water when it was supposed to be, going out there and taking a look at it. I wanted that lawn to grow. Well, that particular summer, as this was during springtime and we came into summer, Alabama the Beautiful decided to become Alabama the Brown. Everything was dying because we weren't getting any rain from above. Nothing to help that lawn grow. And despite what I tried to do, I couldn't keep it growing the way I wanted to. It survived, but didn't flourish quite the way I had hoped for it to. Think about these verses and the reality that God's work in our lives individually and corporately as a body, and we could say corporately all across the world in his church, he's doing a work of growing something. He's planted us as a body of believers, otherwise we wouldn't exist. He's planted us individually. And yet, so often in our own lives and as a corporate body, we maybe don't see it growing the way that it should. That drought reminded me of how totally dependent I was on some kind of blessing from above. Our verse today talks more about sunshine, the face of God shining upon us. We've got to have sunshine. We've got to have rain in order for something to grow. So, too, for us spiritually, each one of us, 
is absolutely dependent upon the face of God shining upon us for us to be able to know God, to walk with God, and even to go through and grow in Him in times when He prunes us. Uh, Someone mentioned this morning, you having your main point that God prunes. I'm not talking about Him sitting in the pool too long. I'm talking about the fact that He trims us back to allow us to grow. That's what we want to talk about this morning. And if you'd like to follow along, you don't have to, but if you'd like to uh, make some notes in your bulletin, if you have today's correct bulletin, uh, you can take a look at the section in the back of the bulletin, and you'll see that the main idea, I think, of these verses is that God plants, prospers, and prunes us. And so in all of those ways, all of those areas, we ought to seek His shining face upon us. Just as we easily take botanical growth for granted. We assume that the grass is going to grow and there'll be crops out there. It's so easy to take spiritual growth for granted as well. And so as we start today, I want to ask you, when's the last time you sat for a little while and just reflected on all that God did to plant the work of the gospel in your life? people he brought into your life, situations, how he brought that together and just gave thanks to him. Just looked at his shining face that he's been gracious to plant his work of the gospel in your life. Perhaps today you're just investigating what it would look like to be planted in the gospel. And I'd love for you to think about that as well, what it means that God's face can and does shine upon us through Jesus, his son. Let's think about that a bit. Let's also think about what level of priority we put on this idea of really prospering spiritually. I said we're called to prosper because as we're going to look at these verses, it gives a picture not of just kind of muddling along, cruise control through the spiritual life. It calls us to a picture that's challenging for me. I suspect I'm not alone to really thrive, to really flourish in the Lord. That doesn't mean everything's going to be peachy keen or perfect for us every day. It's not living fake in some kind of way, but that we would prosper in our walk with the Lord. So where are we with that today? Is, that, is, that, is pursuing that a priority? We know what, what things are priorities for us in our lives, probably uh, business success perhaps for some of us, our, our kids' education or their Growth, uh, probably a priority for us. Maybe uh, training for that marathon or, or, or working out to, to fit, fit into that swimsuit, make that swimsuit look a little bit better. Those things are priority for us, and we give time and effort and energy to them. Is spiritual growth a priority, and where is that playing out in our lives? We want to talk about that. And then lastly, as I said, we want to talk a bit, as these verses speak to it, about what it looks like to grow, to see God's face shining upon us, even in times of difficulty, when he's trimming that vine back, and we can feel it, and it hurts, and yet, even in those times, to be able to see his face shining upon us and to seek it. As we think about this, I think these three points are helpful for us. So first, we'll talk about God planting us, then prospering us, then pruning us. Look with me at verses 8 and 9. We'll see that these verses certainly declare that God 
plants a work in our lives. Verse 8 says, you brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. It's a picture, of course, it's given us a little biblical history lesson going back to when God takes his people out of Egypt and brings them into Israel to plant them as a nation. It's describing that planting. But it reminds us of several things here, and the most important one is that God has to do that work of planting us. We can't generate it just from ourselves or our own energy or our own good intentions. God's got to plant us. And so under this first point, I've got three things for us to think about, three responses to that. The first one is just celebration. As I was asking us a minute ago, uh, when's the last time we just celebrated and given thanks to God just for the fact that he's called us to himself, that he's been gracious to do that for us. Uh, John 15, I said we're going to jump back and forth a bit to there. I'll just read it to you, but verse 16 of John 15 says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. Now, if this sounds like a nice handy verse for Presbyterians, it is indeed one of those things. And it's unfortunate that this reality that God has done this work in our lives, instead of eliciting celebration, has elicited uh, for perhaps some the label of being the frozen chosen. Right? And instead of desiring to bear fruit and rejoicing in the fact that we've been planted, we kind of sit on it. Oh, I got it. It's all taken care of. It's all covered. The gospel is supposed to move us at the very least here to celebration in the Lord on a regular basis for the fact that he's planted us in him. So I came up with a couple of other ones to replace the frozen chosen in case you feel like that label might fit you. It might not be as catchy, but I'm tossing them out there for you. Think about them. How about the affected elected? What about the appalled called? And my personal favorite, the excited, invited. All right, those might not be as popular, but they might help us to think about this reality that we have a great opportunity that when we see God's shining face to celebrate his work of planting us in him. So celebration, that's one response to his planting. Another one, it seems, the scriptures tell us, is conviction. Conviction about our own sin, our own falling short. I take this from Jeremiah, Jeremiah 2.21. Again, you don't have to turn there. It's just a brief passage, but you might jot the, the reference down. Jeremiah 2.21, making reference to God's people as a vine here as well, says this. says, I planted you like a choice vine of sound and reliable stock. How then did you turn against me into a corrupt and wild vine? Although you wash yourself with soda and use an abundance of soap, the stain of your guilt is still before me, declares the sovereign Lord. I don't know about you, but I need kind of every encouragement I can get to try to live a life of repentance, to try to be turning away from sin and towards the Lord. And this is just reminding us that one additional motivation for us 
to turn towards the Lord and turn away from the things we run to, uh, away from Him, is the fact that He's planted us, that He has graciously planted His work in our lives, and that it's absurd, Jeremiah is saying. How is it that this vine that started out growing as one plant and was doing well has instead grown in this other direction? So God's planting work is a good, in a good way should bring us conviction as well. And then the last thing I think God's planting work reminds us of is commission. Celebration, conviction, and then commission. The fact that we're sent out to share this message of hope with others around us. It's implied if God's doing this work of planting all across the world and across the relationships around us, that we would look for how we can be involved in seeing others planted in the gospel. Scriptures remind us of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, where Paul's talking about the work that's taking place in that Corinthian church, and he says that he planted the seed of the gospel. Apollos, who was a guy in that church at the time, uh, watered it, so helped it along the way, but God made it grow. All those things are important. And you may uh, sit here and say, well, I just, I I continue. I know I am supposed to. We all kind of know I'm supposed to try to share my faith with people around me. uh, But that's just tough. It's tough to do. Tough to find maybe even relationships to to do it, uh, to to share. Uh, Tough to initiate those conversations. I'm not sure that I'm going to be used. I just want to encourage us today that part of God's face shining on us is that he is shining and desires to use us to shine through us to people who are around us. That's his desire. And we tend to sort of look at it as a begrudging thing, something we just have to do a duty. But perhaps if we would look at it as a a way to reflect God's shining face to those around us, it might help us. It also helped us to realize, and I'm sure I've probably shared this before, you've heard it other places, but uh, we might be surprised at how God would use us, and maybe we wouldn't even see the fruit of it down the line. You've heard, I'm sure, about Edward Kimball, right? Everybody knows Edward Kimball. Now, you don't know Edward Kimball, and I wouldn't know anything about him either. He was a Sunday school teacher. That was really his big claim to fame, and I'm sure a businessman involved in the community in other ways, but he taught Sunday school. The Sunday school he taught in, he had the opportunity to share the gospel with a shoe salesman, a guy named D.L. Moody. You've probably heard of Moody along the way. Moody came to faith in Christ. This is back in the 1800s through Edward Kimball in his Sunday school class. Moody, who was a shoe salesman, Uh, felt the call to preach and began to preach the gospel, you can follow a pathway from him on down to a guy named F.B. Meyer that came to hear Moody preach at one time. I don't know what F.B. Meyer's occupation was, but he was used in the life of a guy named William Chapham. Chapham buddied up with somebody else you've probably heard of, Billy Sunday, who was a popular evangelist, and they preached, and a little person in North Carolina mountains became a believer and became a pastor there in the mountains of North Carolina in the early 1900s. His name was Mordecai Ham. 
Mordecai preached in that little country church, wherever that town was, and in 1934, I believe it was, a young man named Billy Graham came to faith under his preaching. And, of course, we know Billy Graham has been used of the Lord to speak the gospel to more people than any other person in human history. That's just one pathway you can follow. Edward Kimball, teaching Sunday school back in the middle of the 1800s. But God can use us to plant the gospel in ways we might not even imagine. And we ought to seek his face in that way. Second major thing we see in these verses is God prospers us spiritually as well. This is kind of all over the place in these verses, but verse 10 and 11 will highlight it for us. Back back in Psalm 80 we are. The mountains, it says, were covered with its shade. This vine is flourishing all over the place that the shade is covering everything. Goes on and says the mighty cedars with its branches, so it's climbing up onto the trees. It's kind of covering everything. It sent out its branches to the sea and it shoots to the river. So as far as you can go, the sea is one way. Picture the nation of Israel and the river another way. It's covering everything. That's a picture of this vine, this plant prospering. And when we say it prospers, of course, the, the horrible thing is that in our times, the message that's preached about prospering is sort of that God's going to give us some sort of material prospering or certain financial benefits or certain health and wealth at all times. The message here is not about that. In fact, that goes kind of right against the gospel message. And our last point we'll see in a minute. Now, the prospering here is describing a growth, a flourishing, a desiring of the Lord, a, a working of the Lord in our lives so that we become more forgiving people to those around us, that we desire to know and understand who God is, that, we're, that our times of gathering here for worship would be fuller, we'd be engaging with the Lord more in that, that we'd have a greater heart for our children and for them to see and know the Lord, that all of these things would have, that's what it means when it speaks about prospering, about growing spiritually. And so the question for us again, as I posed earlier today, is where are we in that? If we find ourselves uh, rather far removed for that, from that type of desiring and pursuing growth, or maybe just kind of muddling along and not really zealously pursuing it, uh, part of the problem might be just the fact that we have detached ourselves from the source of our growth. Again, John 15 mentions this, and Jesus says in verse 15 of John 15, I read it earlier, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a person remains in me and I in him, he'll bear much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. If we feel like we're doing nothing in our spiritual life, it might be because we've, without even maybe realizing it, turned away or clipped ourselves off from the vine that gives us life and gives us growth. So my first encouragement to us all, it's a two-way street. We, this growth in the Lord has got to be His work, but it's also our responsibility to respond to that grace. Both things go hand in hand. And I even put in your a bulletin, I think, in the notes section a 
quote from Jim Boyce that I think is really helpful to summarize this up. He says simply, without God, Israel herself could do nothing. At least she could do nothing but sin, which she did abundantly, eventually falling away into the Lord's terrible judgment. To survive, to prosper, even to live, the people of the Old Covenant had to abide in God. No less do we. And then listen to this. Without Jesus Christ and His power, we cannot come to faith. That's what we were talking about a minute ago, planting. Without Jesus Christ and His power, we cannot live a righteous life, turning our backs on sin and cleaving to our Master. And without Jesus Christ and His power, we can't achieve any spiritual victory or produce any spiritual fruit. Do we believe that today? What a privilege that at any point and at multiple points throughout our day or throughout our week that we can turn back and lift our face up to see the shining face of the Lord and His work and His desire to see us not just to muddle along, but to grow in Him. How does this growth take place? Does all of this just sort of happen some sort of magical way? Now it happens, as these verses even indicate and hint at, it happens through the work of God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you look with me, it's interesting. These, this passage is really all about a vine, but verse 15 talks about the Son whom you've made strong for yourself. And then verse 17, but let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man who you have made strong for yourself, certainly be a reference to God's king of Israel, but we know that king finds fulfillment in Jesus. I invite you now, I do invite you to turn with me to a passage in Mark chapter 12. Mark is all the way further towards the back of your Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John there in the New Testament. Mark chapter 12 is where I want us to look for just a few minutes. Mark chapter 12, and we'll begin in verse 1 to read this parable that Jesus tells about a vineyard. And I want you to consider what it teaches us, what it tells us about the beauty of God's face shining on us, not just in some generic general way, but shining on us specifically through the sacrifice of His Son. Mark chapter 12, verse 1, says, Jesus began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it, dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower, and leased it to the tenants and went into another country. When the season came, He sent a servant to the tenants to get, them, to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. They took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent to them another servant, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent another, and him they killed, and so with many others, some they beat and some they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them saying, They will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. They took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? 
He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. I think Jesus' message is clear here as he spoke to those religious leaders, those religious people of the time, and it should give us great note to see the things that Jesus said to religious people as we perhaps are here in our religious people today, that he confronted them with how they were using the vineyard and the fact that they rejected God's message coming. Yet what a beautiful thing that God decides to send his own son. And of course we know this isn't the end of the story. It hints at the fact that the vineyard is going to be given out. It's going to be spread abroad. But we know that's exactly what happens through Jesus Christ coming, laying down his life, his life in a sense being taken from him, just as this beloved son comes to the vineyard, and yet through that is the purchase price, is the work that allows all of us, sitting here today in Birmingham, Alabama, halfway across the world, to have the gospel planted in our lives and to be able to grow in it. That's what we grow from, is that reality of Jesus Christ laid down on our behalf. It's that work of Christ giving us a desire, a hunger, then to respond, say, goodness, the Lord has sent His Son for me. How much should I desire to grow in Him? The third and last thing I want us to see, going back to our psalm passage, so turn back there with me, is that it appears part of how God helps us To see his face and to seek his shining face is actually at points to allow us to be pruned. Have to deal with setbacks, with difficulty, with suffering and trials. And I don't say that lightly. The Lord doesn't, of course, say that lightly, but it is true. Look with me at verse 12 and 13 and then 16, Psalm 80. It says, Why then have you broken down its walls? So that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit. The boar from the forest ravages it, and all who move on the field feed it. And 16, they have burned it with fire, they have cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. All right, we need a little bit of a history lesson, and we'll make some application and conclude here. Uh, Hezekiah was the king of the southern kingdom. Uh, During the time, we think that this psalm was written. So this is years after King David and the sort of flourishing of the kingdom under him. Now, again, this vineyard, as the parable was just describing to us, God's people have taken all the blessings that God has given, and instead of using it to glorify him, the nation has wandered away. The northern part of the nation, you remember those two parts of Israel were divided, and the northern part, it was particularly wandering away from the Lord, running headlong away from him. The south wasn't exactly great, but they were sticking with the Lord a little bit better. And so this psalm was written at that time when God sent this Assyrian army. It's not just some figurative speech, this talk about the vineyard walls being torn down. God sent the entire Assyrian army, 185,000 people, right up 
to the doors of Jerusalem. And the entire northern kingdom would be hauled off. This was around 722 B.C. The entire northern kingdom would be hauled off, but the southern kingdom would be protected in Jerusalem. How did that happen? Why did that happen? It happened because Hezekiah, unlike a lot, unlike all of the northern kings, and unlike a lot of the southern kings, did something pretty unique. He repented and he relied upon the Lord. He sought the Lord's face even in the midst of seeing God pruning, God pulling back the very nation around him. And God turned back that army and at least for a season preserved that southern kingdom. So what is our response to seeing God's hand of pruning. A lot of times when we see God's hand of pruning coming in, we kind of think God's left the scene. He's nowhere to be found. You may have heard the story of the two troublesome boys in one church, and their parents were having a lot of difficulty with them. These youngsters uh, were, were stealing from other kids. They were roughing other kids up. They were constantly lying. The parents had done everything they could with these two brothers to try to deal with their situation. They finally said, we've got to bring them in and see maybe the pastor can talk some sense into them. A pastor agreed to do this and brought them in, but he said, I want to talk to them individually. So one of the youngsters came in and sat down in front of that big pastor's desk across from him, and the other one sat right outside the door with his mother. The pastor wanted to convey to the youngster the reality that God sees, that God looks down from heaven and knows what's going on. Oh, he asked him calmly, where is God? The little boy just sat there. No response at all. Pastor took a deep breath, realized this was indeed going to be a tough case. Asked the young man again, this time a little more directly, where is God? Boy was now sitting there very stubborn looking before the pastor. The pastor's getting, as they sometimes do, a little upset now. And he said to the young man now very forcefully, where is God? Trying to get his attention. The boy jumped up out of his seat, ran out of the office, grabbing his brother by the shirt, and said to him, the pastor's looking for God, and they think we've taken him. Well, you tend, and I tend, when difficulties come, to wonder, where is God? Has he he left the scene? Is he gone from the premises. And what I like about this psalm is that it reminds us that it's precisely in those times that we should move towards God, to seek His face, that He's shining on us even in times of His pruning, even in times of setbacks and difficulties. Do we believe that today? Do we believe the words of uh, the writer of Hebrews, as it says in Hebrews chapter 12, that God loves those that he disciplines and that he punishes those that he accepts as a son. That's part of the way that he cares for us. That's part of the way he enables us to grow in him. Do we believe that today? Let's pray together.
Oh, Father, we do thank you that you are a God of growth, that it's your desire to see us grow and see us flourish in you, and that you put reminders all around us of that. Lord, we ask that we would uh, look to those, that you'd give us eyes to see them, and most of all, Lord, that you'd allow us to see you, that the the reality of who you are, your face that we can seek, would draw us towards you. We thank you, Lord, that you have displayed most clearly your work, your shining face on our behalf through the Lord Jesus Christ offered up for us. Lord, we pray that that reality of grace and mercy would transform us that we might seek, Lord, not to just muddle along with you, but to flourish and to grow in you. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.